All right, the outsiders, come on. Well, hey, my name is Chase Jones, and I am the student director here, and it is such a blessing to get to hang out with our kids at this campus. Daniel Smith, who's our junior high director, Rachel Landingham, who's our female coordinator, they're running Summer Collective on that side of the building. Kyle Kegler is teaching to our students right now. So that's pretty sweet. I love the gig that I get to have, which really... um, The best part of it is that we have 30-plus adult small group leaders that invest in students and spend time with them and give up them. And so they're the real heart of our ministry. So just give it up for them for a second because that's amazing. So I also am a husband to Tara. She is the best. And this is our little baby, Reeves. I am a new girl dad, all right? And there is a picture of Reeves on the 4th of July looking amazing. She's the best. Her first time in red right now over there, so we're a little worried, but we're going to be okay, all right? Love my family. I also am the loudest, proudest member of the Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 2012. Hey, whoo! Oh my gosh, that was better than the first hour. I love it. Some of you Aggies are so excited. There's pride welling up in you, and then everyone else that didn't go is like, I'm not listening to a word this guy says because he's an Aggie. And that's okay. I have 22 relatives that went to A&M, so I really didn't have a choice. I went to A&M, all right? And there's a lot of things when you go to College Station, Texas, that you learn really quickly. You're either on the inside, and if you're an outsider, you're like, what is happening? For example, when you go to an A&M football game, all right, you stand at the game. There's guys called yell leaders on the field. Everyone else calls them male cheerleaders, Okay. And they're going to start doing things like this, and you better know the chants that are happening. And while the chants are happening, you got to take your hat off, because if you don't, someone will yell at you. If you're on the bleacher and not off the bleacher, they'll yell at you for that too. you got to be off the bleacher, ready to say the chants, do it right, all right? You know that our dog is a, a mascot, which makes zero sense, but it's awesome. Gig'em Aggies, all right? You know that you'll get greeted with a howdy. And then you'll shake someone's hand, and if you see an Aggie ring, you'll ask, what class did you graduate? I don't even have my Aggie ring on today. I'm such a good Aggie right here, right now. Uh, The other things, if you walk into the MSC, you've got to take your hat off because it's a, a memorial to soldiers. And so you take it off during that. There's so many different things. I'm even just thinking in my head, like I know how many, we have more five-star recruits in Alabama right now for 2019. I'm so excited, right? And these A&M, A&M people know this stuff. They know this stuff. And it may, it's really uncomfortable if you're an outsider and you walk in, you're like, what is this? Is this some kind, maybe a cult? I don't know, right? When you go to Aggieland, you see that. And I say that because I think it's easy to know insiders and outsiders. And we do this in our life right? It starts really young. We know who's in and who is out. I think of the schools you send your kids to or the teams we play on as a kid. You know who's on the inside and who's an outsider. When you get to college, it's the dorm room or the fraternity that you pledge or the sorority that you rush. It's the social organization that you get into. You know that there's insiders and outsiders. And then when you get into a career, There's departments that you work for. Your workplace might be a place where you you wear a suit and tie and others is uh, just business casual and you get off early or you don't and you know kind of the culture within your work. You know who's an insider and outsider and in our adult life, that also plays out all the time. 
right? I think about conversations that you're in on. When you walk up to a group of people, you're either in that conversation or you're out of it. The TV shows that people talk about, if you haven't watched it, it's just awkward. It's not a great conversation. You're outside the conversation. If you're a CrossFit worker outer, you know the inside stuff and the outside, if, or you're just a regular gym guy like me, that's cool too. But you know the inside and the outside. And I think the reason we do this, I think I know why we do this. Listen, it's a way more efficient and easy way It is so much easier, it is so much more efficient to love insiders than it is to love outsiders. It's so much easier. You don't have to get outside of your lane. You can love these people. You don't have to worry about those people. You just stay in your little confined area and love the people that are like you and like the same things as you. And you know the lingo and how to talk and how to be in that group. Bob Goff, who's one of my favorite people, he says it this way. What I have come to realize, though, is that I was avoiding the people I didn't understand and the ones who lived differently than me. Here's why. Some of them just creeped me out. Sure, I was polite to them, but sadly, I spent my whole life avoiding the people Jesus spent his whole life engaging. Jesus spent his life engaging the outsiders. He didn't miss it. And when I read this quote, I thought of the story that we're going to cover this morning, which is so exciting. And really what I want you to hear is this is a message on forgiveness, that Jesus came to free us so that we could love people that are different than us, that we would do what Jesus did, that we could see his example and follow it. And so I got a question for you guys. When is the last time you avoided somebody that was different than you. When is the last time? I know for me, I've done that because I love my comfort, right? And so last week, we talked about the first week of outsiders, just that Jesus came to bring the outsiders in. And this week, we're going to look at a story in Luke 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to there. And it's going to show us that, hey, Jesus came to forgive us all, even the outsiders. And we're going to look at the story of the forgiven woman. In 36, verse 36 is where we'll start. And there's so much good stuff in this passage. I can't wait. If you know me, you know that I say, let's go a lot. And so let's go, all right? Forgiveness is offered to all. Forgiveness leads to love and forgiveness leads to liberty. So while you guys get there, there's three main characters that we'll cover in this passage. One is Jesus He's on the scene. He's a miracle worker. He has hung around the religious elite and he is bold and he is going to a Pharisee's house. And I love it because I think you guys will get a clear picture. I tell this to our students all the time. If we could get a clear picture of who Jesus is, his character and the way that he walked and taught, man, our hearts would be set on fire for God. And then Simon the Pharisee, he's this Guy, last week we talked about tax collectors, and Jesus was hanging out with them, which is really awesome. And this week it's a Pharisee, this religious elite. He was self-reliant. He had it going on. He thought, he kind of stood at the back of the room and kind of watched the scene. It's his own house, but he invites Jesus, this teacher. That's all he thinks of him as. And you'll see real quick that he was missing it. It was going over his head. And for a lot of us in this room, we're going to be able to relate with Simon the Pharisee. 
that our faith has grown dull, that we rely on our own selves to walk with God, that our righteousness is about us. And then the third character, the sinful woman. She's called the woman of the city. Some people think she was a prostitute. We know that there was sexual sin in her past. And she shows up. She's an outsider that in this story becomes an insider. And some of you in here are going to identify with this, with the story of her brokenness, her hidden sin, her sexual past. And I would just tell you that you will hear some of the most life-changing and amazing news that Jesus came to reconcile us to a holy God, to love us, to say that, hey, no matter what you've done in your past, he loves you and he wants to bring you into his family. And so with those characters in mind, those three people, Jesus, Simon the Pharisee, and the sinful woman, let's jump in and let's read the scripture. 36 says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. I'm going to stop there just for a second, that Jesus went in. He went into the table. He sat. It was probably a low table, and his feet were behind him, all right? So that's the scene. We're in this guy's house. It's a banquet, all right? Kind of like a mini conference where people would gather to hear the teacher of the day. Verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. That was expensive. It was what she had. It was probably worn around her neck. It was oil. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have been would have known who and what sort of woman this was who was touching him, for she was known as a sinner. Why was Simon shocked that she walked in? He was shocked because he didn't hang around people that weren't like him. He didn't normally have that kind of guest in his house. And once again, that same character that I told you about, standing in the back and pointing and watching the scene, and Jesus is sitting at his table, and this woman walks in, he is just I'm not going to hang out. Who, who is this? Does Jesus know who this is? Because if he did, he would cast her out of this house. That's Simon's attitude. She was defined. This girl was defined by a sinner. People knew her sins. It was plastered. They knew in this small city what she had done. And she came to Jesus. Why do you think she came? She came maybe because she heard stories. Maybe Maybe her friend's life was changed or maybe she thought about her story and her past and thought, man, if there's any hope, like I've tried everything, nothing's worked. I can't get out of the rut of my life. But I've heard about this Jesus. His stories have gone before him. I'm just gonna go. I wanna see him. I wanna go to him. I love this because she did. She went to Jesus. Simon invited Christ in. She shows up and walks in. And you know she had to feel scared to walk in that room. And yet she did. And I love it because there's seven verbs in one sentence. My wife is an English teacher. That's a lot of verbs in one sentence. All right. Let me just read them to you. Let me just read you these verbs. She learned Jesus was there. She brought 
an alabaster jar. She stood at Jesus' feet. She wept and wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. She kissed Jesus' feet. She anointed his feet with oil. She is acting on her love. She is searching for Jesus. She showed up. And I love it because what this picture shows of our Savior is someone that loves not only the hard-hearted Simon the Pharisee, but also this broken woman who was far from God and had a past and that these people that were in that house didn't normally run with. And I say this to students all the time. This is an illustration I say. Hey, imagine if every sin, past, present, and future, was on these projector screens right here. A lot of us, like imagine if your sins were up there, a lot of us would walk out of this room out of shame and guilt. And for my own life, if, if my sin from my past was on that screen, it would sound a lot like this. Addiction to pornography, running uh, after all the things life had, whether it was performance on the sports teams that I played in high school, or it was girls, or it was the drugs or alcohol that I could find pleasure in. Those are just a couple that would be on that screen all while going to church and acting like I was this awesome kid. I grew up in Plano, right down the road, went to Plano Senior High, went to a church on the other side of town. And yet those are just some of the things that would be on my screen. And you want to know what is unreal and just stops me in my tracks often is that Jesus knew everything on that screen. He knew everything about my life. And Romans 5.8 tells me, that he loved me, he knew everything and he loved me, but God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While I was at my absolute worst, Christ died. My rebellion was high, his love was higher, he came after me. And the truth is we all have sins that could be on that projector screen, but we're not defined by our sin because of what Christ did on the cross. And that is true of this woman in this story. Her sins were known. A lot of us, our sins aren't known. But regardless, the God of the universe knows and he chose you and he loves you for those who put their trust in Christ. That's the amazing piece of the gospel. That is the cross and where the freedom that comes from it. That he died a death that you deserve, that he took all your sin on the cross. His blood purchased for us a freedom and a life to know him and have a relationship with him and more importantly, be freed from our sin so that we could walk with him and worship him and follow him. And so forgiveness is offered to all. It was offered to the hard-hearted and it was offered to the sinful, broken woman and it's offered to you guys and you've got to accept and come to the gift. And so what this means is we can't draw lines on who gets to hear this truth and who doesn't. As the church, as believers, we should share this truth that that forgiveness is offered to all. They want to hear the gospel. Let me tell you about it. Please hear what God has for your life and share it more and more. And if you struggle like me, because I do at sharing that, even though I know the truth and God has redeemed me and at 17, Romans 5, 8, changed the trajectory of my life. But we, we, the church, us, we have a chance. And so the next part I just want to share with you is that the forgiveness, understanding that leads to love. We're going to pick up in verse 40. It says, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. 
a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. One owed a great debt and one owed a small debt. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And then I, I love, listen to Simon's weak answer of a hard-hearted guy. He says, Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, I love this. He turns to the broken woman who the Pharisee thought, man, if you knew what she did, you wouldn't be close to her. And he starts pointing to her and saying, watch her example. I'll tell you about her. She understands who I am and what I have come to do. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Pause. Her hair was used to draw people Men, right, in her, past, her career as a prostitute, draw men in, and now it is being used to wash the feet of the Savior. Amazing grace. Amazing transformation. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Look, I'm not into feet. Like, feet are nasty. And she's kissing Jesus' feet. She has that much lavish love to bestow on the Savior who forgave her. Forgiveness leads to love. Let's watch. And you did, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. He who is forgiven little loves little. He who is forgiven much loves much. For those of us that understand forgiveness, love should be leaking out of us. It should be the way in which we are marked and look different to the world. So how do you remind yourself of this forgiveness? For me, it's just reading this. It's reading God's word. It's reminding myself of the truth of who God is. It's spending time with people that can uh, actually help me and sharpen me to be God's man. And it is praying and being with him. So being with Jesus. And the more I see the cross, the more I see the character of God, the more lovely and beautiful it becomes, the more I understand. And so a lot of times at Watermark, you've probably heard this phrase. We say, draw a circle around yourself and fix everything in it. And that's an amazing phrase. In terms of love, I want to challenge you to do this. Draw a circle 30 feet around you and love everybody in it. Here's what I mean. Love people that are close to you, right around you. Whether it's at the doctor's office or when you're getting gas or during the meet and greet here at church or right out there in the lobby or when you're going to work. I don't know, wherever it is, but that you would draw a circle around yourself 30 feet wide and love everybody in it. People that are physically close to you, you would love them. That would be a mark of the church. That would be a mark of understanding your forgiveness. And so I just have a question for us. How are we doing at that? How are you doing at that? Because I think if you're like me at all, sometimes it may feel like I'm just clocking it in, checking the box of Christianity, coming on Sundays, and the rest of the week, the gospel doesn't affect me in any way. Maybe dropping your kids off at kids ministry or student ministry and just hoping they turn out better than you. Man, you are missing one of the greatest blessings you could have, walking with Jesus, having a childlike faith, seeing God do things that would be amazing. You would miss out on a blessing that the scripture talks about 
That forgiveness leads to love. It's not just a lame faith. It's fun. It's amazing. Forgiveness leads to love. I think a lot of times we don't really understand our forgiveness. Like I can understand, hey, five years ago, I just shared my story from eight years ago of just when my life changed at 17 at Plano Senior High School. And I can realize I'm forgiven for those things. And maybe even three weeks ago and maybe even a week ago. But today, do I understand my forgiveness that before a holy God, the gospel meets me in my mess today, that I can be free to share it, to confess my sin, to live in the light, to be able to love people, not deal with guilt and shame. And so hear me loud and clear as we look at this woman, this sinner that did it right. I think going to the feet of Jesus is part of our goal. Just getting to the feet of Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you'll realize the depth of your sinfulness and the depravity and the great forgiveness of God. Spurgeon says it like this. He who has stood before his God convicted And condemned with the rope around his neck is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned. To to hate the evil which has been forgiven. A hate for sin is a love for God. A love for God is a hate for sin. I want to put up a graphic that we've used here at Watermark before. It just shows the bigness of the cross. And that when you understand the growing awareness of God's holiness. And then you also understand Man, where I am sinful and broken in areas where I don't live up to God's plan for me, that the cross just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Honestly, regeneration, a ministry here at Watermark, has been so helpful to me. I did it about two years ago. And I think a lot of people that have gone through regeneration really do just experience that big crossness. There are a bunch of people walking around with big crosses in front of their faces. And that... that, had that effect on me and helping me understand where I was broken and in need of grace. And the opposite of that, right, the opposite of a big cross is a shrinking cross or a cross that stays the same. And unfortunately, I think this can be a lot of people in the church. It can be me at times that we don't understand God's holiness and we don't understand our brokenness, our forgiveness. And so therefore, our cross just stays meek and small And we kind of look like Simon who's dull in his faith and missing the mark and it's going over our head and we're kind of checking the box of Christianity. We have excuses. Really, like what is your excuse of not making the cross bigger? I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to jump into community. I don't have time to serve. I don't know what it is for you. I don't understand. Maybe it's just I don't understand the gospel. We'd love to tell you about it. I remember in college, I went to a Bible study and there was this guy and his name was Taco who led it. And so whenever you hear a guy's name Taco that's leading a Bible study, you go because that's an awesome name. And so I went and I would go every week. And I remember sitting there one time in Taco's Bible study and there was this kid right in front of me and he was new. Everyone knew he was kind of new to the room and there would be a lot of guys, probably 30 to, to 35 guys in, that, in a little living room. And I just remember watching him. And from the moment he walked in, his eyes were big 
and he was sitting on the edge of his seat, like just eager. You could tell he just had this eagerness. He was raising his hand every chance he could get. He had this passion and this excitement, and he was just like, hey, yeah, that's amazing. Jesus did this, what? And like asking these questions. I remember my heart just getting more and more like, dude, does this guy not realize, like, I love Jesus too, just because you're showing more passion, dude. I want to raise my hand for some questions, right? And I started judging the way that he was kind of acting. And I was too much of a coward to say anything, but the guy next to me leaned over, and I'll never forget this. He goes, he goes, hey, man, hey, did you just become a believer or something? Did you become a believer? Almost to say, hey, dude, just chill out. One day... When you're further along, walking with Jesus, you got kids running around, all this stuff, you're going to be a little more chill about Jesus. You need balance in your life. Yeah, you're passionate now. I was like that too when I first became a believer. But now, dude, get it under control. Stop that. And I just remember in that moment repenting and going, Lord, may I never lose my passion, my curiosity, the willingness to raise my hand, to be excited about what God is doing and understanding my forgiveness. That guy had a great understanding of his forgiveness and how much Jesus loved him. And me and the guy that asked the question were missing it. It was over our heads. And so let's not shrink the cross. And the question to you is, when did that become you? When did that become us? Dole, checking that box, not having the same passion. Because I truly believe the more we see Christ for who he is, the more our cross gets big, there should follow with some passion, excitement, and some childlike faith. And when we engage with people, outsiders, that there's this heart rate that starts beating and you know that you're in line with what God is doing and that you reach out to people. You know, a lot of times, the reason I don't, my excuse is just I love my comfort and I'm fearful, right? I don't know what it is for you. But, man, as our passion increases, as our heart increases, it's a get-to faith, not a have-to. I get to follow God. I get to get up in the morning and read God's word. I get to lead a family devotional. I get to, I get to, I get to. Not a, man, I have to go to church. The family's counting on me. Better load up. Got to go, right? I get to. And so if we don't love outsiders, then I think we don't really understand the depth of our forgiveness, And so lastly, forgiveness leads to liberty. Let's finish verse 48 through 50. Forgiveness leads to liberty. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? He's God. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love how Jesus commands her at the end, go in peace. You want to know why? She understood her forgiveness, which led to a liberty. She was right vertically with God, which led to a horizontal love to God. And she is free, free indeed. I think of Galatians 5.1, one of my favorite passages. I share with students all the time. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christ forgave us and freed us at the cross. A lot of us are walking around with a lot of guilt and shame when Christ has already forgiven you. He loves you. Look at how he interacted with this woman. I want to put the definition of freedom up because I think it's helpful. I know it's helpful for me just to, to see it. 
it says, the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Sounds like some worship songs we sing. No longer a slave to sin. We're no longer imprisoned by the enemy. We have been set free. We are not defined by our sin. You're not defined by your projector screen of sin. You are defined by Christ's righteousness, the end. So I want to put up a chart that just shows the difference between the, the, Pharise, the Pharisee and his fake religion and then this woman that was forgiven. I'm just going to read it to you guys. The Pharisee has Jesus in his home. So he has people in his home. She has Jesus in her heart. He degrades Jesus, just calls him a measly teacher, doesn't call him Savior. She exalts Jesus, sees him as Lord. He judges Jesus' actions. He's the guy in the back pointing. And she speaks with her actions, seven verbs in one sentence, loving, lavishly towards the Savior. He shows hostility. She shows hospitality. He responds with grumbling. She responds with gratitude. Just a love, a lavish love. He sees others as sinners. Look what they did. Look at that person. I'm not like them. At least I'm not like them. And she sees themselves as the chief of sinner, as Paul would say, as the sinner. He belittles their sin. She acknowledges their sin, owns it, leads from brokenness, shares her story, lives out that forgiveness to others. I bet you she told everyone this story after this. He is self-righteous. She is Christ-righteous. He is the fake hard-hearted. She is the forgiven and loved. She has been set free. And what's cool about both those charts is that Christ loved them both. He spoke truth to Simon and he, and he loved that woman despite what she had done. And we need to hear that. We need to be reminded of that. Romans 8, for me, is that sweet reminder of liberty. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sweetness, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, I know for me, I can get really in my head a lot or I can think like, here's, how you, here's what it looks like to be a Christian. You gotta do this, this, and this. And sometimes I just have to get simple. And here's my simple way of reminding myself. And obviously the story, sitting at the feet of Jesus, that's a great picture. Mine is just this, love Jesus. Love Jesus. And what I mean by that is remind myself of the gospel. Remind myself not to get far from him. He is the source. He is the reason. One of my favorite authors says it like this. The question is not how many people take you seriously. How much are you going to accomplish? Can you show me some results? But just this, are you in love with Jesus? That's the same question I think God is asking that we're asking, hey, are you in love with Jesus? This last couple weeks ago, we got to go away with our Plano staff. And I love being on this team of Watermark Plano and just the hearts of the people that serve behind the scenes and love this place and are all about it. And one of the things that we do is we have a lot of fun uh, when we get together, but we also make sure that we're encouraging one another and reminding ourselves of the same things that I'm saying in this message so we can continue to be the church and love people. 
and care for people. Well, one of the ways that we did encouragement this year is that everyone filled out a form and sent in words that described each of our staff people. I have mine here. And the way it worked is the more words that were said about you and certain things was what was bigger on the frame. And so here's what my word said. It said leader, adventurous, creative, passionate, high capacity, energetic, because I'm a student guy, right? Great laughing partner, excited dad. I love that one. And those are all great. And we, in fact, all of us have something like this. We, people would say a lot of great things about us. But here's what I thought as I left, I just go, man, I could have all these things, like a leader, creative, those are all great things. But at the end of the day, the biggest word, the thing that should cover all the words is just lover of Jesus. That's, that's the goal. Because I bet you Simon the Pharisee had one of these and it was like, hey, righteous and memorize half the Old Testament. None of us have done that. So he's, he's crushing it, Right. And yet he was missing it. And so for all of us, whatever your thing says on this, whatever words would describe you, I hope and I pray that the number one thing would be lover of Jesus, that we would love Christ. The woman showed it. She showed it in her actions. She showed it in this liberty as she washed Jesus' feet, as she took ointment that probably cost up to 50 grand, a year's wages, And she broke it and poured it on his feet because she loved the Savior. And she sat there as Jesus taught and rightly worshiped the God of the universe. And so my challenge to us, to me, is that we would respond with that kind of crazy love. That we would respond with a heart to love Christ and compel others to know him. That Forgiveness is offered to all, that forgiveness leads to love, that we would love out of an overflow of our relationship with God and be on mission, be the church, be the hands and feet of Christ. To love everyone within a 30-foot circle around us, love everybody in it. I mean, think of the people that would be sitting in this room if we would be courageous, if we would look at where forgiveness leads us to, that we could love people unashamed, I think I uh, experienced a little bit of this freedom a couple months back. And to be honest, as I share this story, I, I wish this happened more often. But the truth is, a lot of times I am fearful and I do live in my comfort. So I was at LA Fitness across the street. And I'm the guy that goes in there. I put my two headphones in. As I got out of the car, I'm already like picking my Spotify playlist. I'm like, I'm going to go in. I just want to sweat a little bit and then I'll leave. Okay. That's the kind of workout guy I am. And I start walking in and I'll, I'm walking, I've got both headphones in and there's this lady that walks straight up to me. I mean, I can't get around this. The 30 foot circle, she was all up in it, okay? And I ran into her and we started talking and she handed me this flyer and I pulled one headphone out and we started talking and then I pulled both out and we started having a conversation. She started telling me, hey, this thing's amazing. You gotta come you got to come to this thing. And I said, okay, that's great. What do you believe about that? What, what, what are the things? We started having this conversation. I told her what I believed. She told me what her, she believed. And she just kept saying, thank you, thank you. I love hearing what you believe. And, and I said the same thing. Hey, thank you for sharing your beliefs. I love hearing what you believe. And we made a deal in the parking lot at LA Fitness right there. I shook her hand. I said, hey, if I come to your Plano meditation class, Will you come to church with me on Sunday? And she 
was like, yeah, done. We shook on it, all right? And this, this was a Wednesday. That Friday comes, and that's when she had invited me. She texted me. She exchanged numbers. She's like, hey, you got to come to this intro class. So I did what anybody would do, and I called my friend Andreas and didn't tell him anything. I said, come over. You're coming with me, all right? And he got in the car with me, and I go, hey, we're going to this place. And I had a conversation, and I think we can love this lady and, and just hear more of her story. So we get in there, and we sit on the floor, and we, for an hour, listen to her share her beliefs behind meditation and why she believes in it. And we got to share the hope of the gospel. We got to share about the forgiveness that's been offered to all. We got to love her and just care for her. And then we left. And I thought, man, I don't know if she's going to to show up on Sunday, but that was still worth it. And I get a text on Sunday and she said, hey, where do I park? And she parks over here and was so confused as why there were so many people at this place. And she walks in at those doors, meets my wife, Tara, right out there, walks straight in those double doors and sits right in that section right there with us at church. And I remember watching her and she worshiped and she sat there and at meet and greet, Watermark Plano engaged her and loved her and cared about her and talked to her. And I remember she just goes, I didn't know there was this many people. Like she was saying that out there and I was like, well, just wait till you come in the main auditorium. There's a lot more. And she was just so excited and like, what is happening? And I share that not because I think I'm knocking out of the ballpark with engaging people that are outsiders, but I know that from that story, I hope that that's daily for us. Not just every six months that happens, one time, a one-off, but that when we understand our forgiveness and we are unleashed as the church as it should be, the hope of the world, the people going after those that don't look like them, don't come from the same background, have maybe look a little creepy as Bob Goff said, That when we love those people, man, what a picture of God's kindness. What a picture of Jesus who loved Simon, the forgiven woman. And through all this series, you're going to see him love people that are far from God. So let me pray for us. Um, And I hope that just in this message, as you heard, the only response I can think that for us as a church to do after that is just to respond much like the forgiven woman, which is she worshiped Jesus with oil, with um, her hair, with her tears. We get to worship as a church for those that have the hope of Christ through song and singing to him. So let me pray and then let's stand and sing together. Father, thank you that you love us and that you have given us the freedom to walk with you and that through your cross, which is a perfect picture of your love and kindness to us, that you would take on all our sin and you would free us to be able to believe the truth that that we have your righteousness on us. Lord, thank you for that gift. And I pray right now for us that we would be able to worship you freely, forgiven, fully loved, that we would offer all that we have, which is maybe just raising our hands or singing when we don't normally sing or sitting when we normally stand, Lord, but we want a heart of worship because we have seen the goodness and kindness of you 
And out of that, we want to love and we want to worship and we want to be your people. So help us, help us have stories like LA Fitness, Lord, help me who has not engaged people well, Lord, help me to grow in that. And I pray that our body uh, would, would double because of the way that we love this city, this place. We need you. It's in your beautiful name. Amen.